Let's uh, bring our uh, concerns to our, our Heavenly Father uh, for a moment. Father, uh, in heaven, uh, thank you. Thank you, God, that we can worship together in spirit and in truth. Would you make us into people of spirit and truth, grounded in your gospel, rooted in your uh, word, powered by your spirit? Father, we we pray for these uh, opportunities our church has and and these these endeavors that we're uh, joining to be part of. We pray for this this diaper drive. Um, we, We pray uh, that we might be a small blessing to our city, to those in need. And we take time this morning to pray for those families for whom diapers are a luxury item some weeks. And they are uh, struggling and, and maybe frustrated and, and hurting. And we pray that they would know the peace of Christ and the love of a father who provides for his children. We pray, Father, that diapers may only be an entrance point for where directly or indirectly our church may be a witness to the gospel hope of Jesus Christ. Father, even as we remember those with small ones, we, we pray for our families this morning who are maybe looking forward to that, uh, to that time. We, we pray for uh, Zach and Grace and um, for their adoption process, and, and we pray for their peace and, and their calm through this time, and uh, they would trust in you and for their little guy to uh, know what it means to, to be a big brother and, and to prepare his tiny heart for that. And we pray for those couples in our church who may be uh, thinking about adoption or uh, may be uh, trying to have children. Uh, and, and we pray, Father, that you would give them the peace that passes understanding and, and uh, a comfort in knowing that you are sovereign over all those things. We pray for those who, who may have been trying to have kids and are frustrated that they don't. Um, know and trust and rest in your sovereignty, knowing your timing and your power, and that they can place their hope in you. May we all uh, be those who rejoice in each other's uh, joys and weep in each other's sorrows. Father, we uh, pray for this uh, Lottie Moon Christmas offering. And we pray, Father, that, that we and other Christians and, and churches around the, the nation and, and around the world uh, would be uh, diligent in, in funding the work of the gospel and the ground. And we pray for those missionaries that, that we know and, and those that we don't know who are going to be directly impacted by this work. And we pray for gospel movements to grow up and to flourish and, and for um, new churches to be started. And we pray for new churches to be started from these funds in the, in the most remote and, and, and dangerous places in the world and in, and in the safest places where hearts have grown callous to the gospel. And we pray, Father, that you would uh, raise up leaders and, and, and train leaders in, in good theology and gospel uh, and b- teaching and biblical knowledge that they might lead a new generation of Christians to, uh, to faithfulness and wherever they are. 
And in, in that, Father, we, we pray maybe in particular this morning for Sri Lanka. We pray, Father, for the gospel to flourish there. We pray for the, our brothers and sisters in the faith who are uh, being persecuted by uh, maybe uh, Buddhist hostilities. And we pray that they would stand strong in the gospel of Jesus Christ, not wavering from the, the hope that they have and, and the blood that has uh, bought them and, and paid for their eternal salvation. We pray, Father, that the uh, missionary endeavors of Buddhists and Hindus on Sri Lanka would be uh, fruitless and would fail, that your gospel would stand tall. We pray, Father, that the church would grow and be strengthened in teaching and knowledge, and we pray for unity in the church uh, between different branches of Christianity there that love Jesus and love the gospel, that they would be one even as you and the Father are one, and that the different ethnic groups on Sri Lanka in your church would be one even as you brought uh, Jew and Gentile to be one, even as you brought uh, black and white to be one. We pray that those ethnic groups would be one in Christ Jesus and so be a witness and a condemnation to a culture that is so divided. And all these things, may Jesus Christ be lifted high. And we pray for our brother, uh, Jason, who is going to bring the word to us this morning. Would you speak through him by your spirit to speak only truth, to speak it well, to speak it clearly, to speak it powerfully, that we might be made to believe and believe all the more the good things about Jesus Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen. At this time, Jason Kinney is going to uh, open up God's word for us, uh, one of our newest members, and we're glad to have him here and preach the word for us. So thank you, Jason. All right. Is this, is this mic on? Yeah. Oh, okay. Cool. Um, all right. Uh, turn your Bibles to um, John 10, and we're going to look at verses 22 through 42. So turn your Bibles or your phones to John 10. And as you're turning, I'm just going to introduce what we're talking about today. So each of us in our lives have had someone come up to us and said, who are you? And you, you tell them different things about yourself. You tell them, oh, my name's Jason. I like to run. I, I like to watch all Star Wars content and read Star Wars content and watch Star Wars YouTube videos, fan theories, because we're telling people about who we are and the things that really get us going in life. Um, and that is just a funny example of what is happening in this passage today. That is much how we find Jesus in our text this morning. So John 10, verse 22. At that time, the Feast of Dedication took place at Jerusalem. It was winter, and, the Je and Jesus was walking in the temple, in the colonnade of Solomon. So the Jews gathered around him and said to him, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. And Jesus answered them, I told you, and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me. But you do not believe, because you are not among my sheep. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. The Jews picked up stones again to stone him. Jesus answered them, I have shown you many good works from the Father. For which of them are you going to stone me? The Jews answered him, It is not for a good work that we're going to stone you, 
but for blasphemy. Because you, being a man, make yourself God. Jesus answered them, Is it not written in your law? I said you were gods. If he called them gods to whom the word of God came, and scripture cannot be broken, do you say of him whom the Father consecrated and sent into the world, you were blaspheming because I said I am the Son of God? If I am not doing the works of my Father, then don't believe me. But if I do them even though you do not believe me, believe the works that you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I am in the Father. Again, they sought to arrest him, but he escaped from their hands. He went away again across the Jordan to the place where John had been baptizing at first, and there he remained. And many came to him, and they said, John did no sign, but everything that John said about this man was true, and many believed in him there. Our main point this morning is trust who Jesus is because his works bear witness to his identity. So firstly, we're going to see the setting. What's happening in this text? Well, it says Jesus is at the Feast of Dedication in Jerusalem. What is that? What is the Feast of Dedication? This is new. Well, we all know what the Feast of Dedication is. Uh, it happens every year around Christmas time. Uh, we call it Hanukkah. Now, most of us only know Hanukkah exists around Christmas time, and that's, that's celebrated by Jews. That's all we know. But we, what we don't know is that uh, when the Jews rebuilt the temple after like, the time of Nehemiah, what happened was they, they you know, celebrated the, the, the temple, and then the, uh, the Greeks, they had wanted to Hellenize the uh, Jews after Alexander the Great had uh, conquered. And so when the empire broke up to four, the Seleucids were really over in Jerusalem. And so the Seleucid kings were like, hey, we want you guys to uh, become like us, Greeks. And so they sacrificed a pig on the altar. And, uh, and now that resulted in a res- revolt because, as we know, pigs are unclean animals. And so Judas the Hammer, uh, he led this revolt against the Seleucids. And until Rome came in, the Jews were in charge of Jerusalem and they were fighting to keep their worship uh, dedicated to Yahweh. Now, I really just told this story so I could say Judas the Hammer because, let's be honest, that's, that's a sick name. <laughs> we all want to be known as Judas the Hammer. Um, but, but it's also a big deal because not only have they reclaimed their land post-exile, but they've also done something they failed to do the first time. And they actually were like, hey, this is our temple and this is how we worship Yahweh. This is how we worship the Lord. And then who is Jesus talking to? Who are the characters here? Well, when you look in the text, it says the Jews who are gathered around him. So normally we see Jesus talking to religious leaders. So this is religious leaders, but it's also just like other Jews in the temple. And so they're asking him, they're saying, who are you? And so that's actually breaking with the previous section of text. In, at the beginning of John 10, he's talking to just the religious leaders. And so in this text, he's talking to all the Jews that are in Jerusalem at this time through the Jews. So, and this is also important because Jesus still has not come out plainly and told the Jews in the Gospel of John, I'm the Messiah. Now, he said some pretty wild stuff that if you just listen to it, you're like, okay, so this guy's the Messiah. But at the same time, he hasn't just said, I, I am the Messiah. So that is what is happening in this passage. So our next point, curiosities abound. Who are you? So here it is, the question we ask each other that I introduced myself today, who are you? And in verse 25, Jesus says, I told you and you don't believe the works I do in my Father's name bear witness about me. Now, there's a case that Jesus is building in this text, and it's 
I'm, he's doing three things. He's saying, look at my works. Those who look at my works and understand they're my sheep, and those who, under, like my sheep, understand that I am one with the Father. So first he says, look at my works. Look at the works of Jesus. Jesus says, you don't know me because you aren't seeing my works in context. And see, instead, you're seeing that they're happening, but you aren't connecting them to anything. And what are these works? What's Jesus been doing? What has he been doing throughout the Gospels? He's healed the sick. People, he healed a man born blind. He healed a cripple, you know, his friends let him through the roof. He's fed thousands of people. Uh, he's taught as one with authority. Like, every time you see Jesus teaching, Jews are always like, oh yeah, he's teaching as one with authority. And then, I mean, at the beginning of the Gospel of John, he turned water into wine. And even during Christ's ministry, he forgave sins. So he's saying, look at my works. <laughs> and if we go back to chapter 9 of this, like just in the same section of John. So if we go back to chapter 9, we see Christ healing a man born blind. And he heals him on the Sabbath. And why did he do that? So that he could reveal who he was. Jesus said in John chapter 9, verse 3, this man was born blind so that the works of God might be displayed in him. So Jesus' works exist to show us who he is and how he's doing these works. And he's not doing these works in a vacuum. He didn't heal someone and just leave. No, he healed them and then taught. And then that's what he does in John 9. He heals and then indicts the religious leaders for neglecting to understand who he is. He says, for judgment I came into the world, that those who don't see me, that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. What he just said there was, I came for those you've cast off, the unloved and the uncared for. So he's saying these works are happening so these works are happening alongside his teaching. He's saying, I heal someone on the Sabbath, and I followed up with a clear declaration that I'm the Messiah. But you don't believe because you're not listening to me. So Jesus' works show us who he is. Think of it like this, all right? If, if Ben Most came up to us and said that he could moonwalk better than Michael Jackson, none of us would believe it. We'd all be like, no, he can't. But then, if you were like at a wedding and Ben then moonwalked, you'd be like, whoa, he just moonwalked better than Michael Jackson. You didn't believe it. What is that doing? It's showing his works or revealing they're backing up what he says. So we'd then be like, oh, wow, that guy can moonwalk. So we're seeing the same thing here. Jesus is saying, hey, I'm the Messiah. And people are like, okay. And then he's like, oh, these are my works. I just healed someone. And they're like, oh, okay, maybe he is. <laughs> so who recognizes the works of Jesus? The sheep do. The sheep recognize the works of Jesus. In verse 26, he says, you don't believe because you're not my sheep. This is further indicting the Jews and pointing them to the next stage of his argument. The sheep hear and believe. So what does that mean? Well, if you look at the top line of John 10, you see a preview of John 10 as a whole. It says in the ESV, I think the top line there says, I'm the good shepherd. So that entire section is a discourse that Jesus is talking about how he's the good shepherd and the sheep hear his voice and they follow him. And in this passage, so he's now using the same imagery here. You aren't my sheep. And why does he say that? Because in verse 27, he makes it clear. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. And if you've ever seen sheep in action, how many of you guys have seen sheep? Yeah. How many of you guys are shepherds? So were the sheep, you, you, none of you, none of you. So the sheep were a little skittish. They're like, oh man, what's going on here? I mean, I, my favorite barn to go to at the state fair 
is oh, uh, in Indiana. I grew up in Indiana. We'd go to the state fair. And there's a livestock barn. It's a, it's a sheep barn. It's my favorite barn because you can always just screw with the sheep real easy. Like, there's so little you have to do. You're just like, and the sheep's like, ah, ah. So sheep know their shepherd well. And so, like, that's just how it is. So those who recognize Jesus, they're his sheep. His sheep are those who are, who are called to salvation. What is that? Well, being called to salvation, it's the work of God's Spirit, the Holy Spirit revealing our own sinfulness to us and then pointing us to Christ and renewing our hearts and minds in and through salvation. So Jesus is saying, his sheep know me because they have been called by my Father and the Holy Spirit. And in context of this passage, the sheep believe who Jesus is because of what? His works. You don't believe me? Yet the works I do in my Father's name bear witness about me. Therefore, you aren't my sheep. So his works show us who he is and that he's worthy of belief. And not only that, he, the sheep also recognize that Jesus is the one that gives eternal life and they will never perish. So in verse 28, I give them eternal life and they will never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. Going further down in this line of reasoning, Jesus even says in verse 29, my father has given them to me and he is greater than all. No one is able to snatch them out of my father's hand. The father has given them and Jesus keeps them. So if we are his sheep and we recognize him because of his voice, that is such a glorious truth for us. If, if he saved us, you see in verse 28, I give them eternal life and they never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. Our salvation is secure because Christ secures it. It's secured by his blood on the cross. And that is the chief work of Christ. Remember, they do not believe because they do not believe his works. If we believe his works, we are his sheep and therefore we are secure and his chief work is the cross. And that is a, a great reminder for us, Gateway. Savor that reminder because we are kept secure by God, the creator of the universe. That's amazing. Like we've been talking about in Genesis, you know, however we look at it, however we split the atom, God's the creator at the end. And so if we dwell in the miseries of our sins, that we confess daily, we get caught looking backward and never forward to Christ and his salvation and eternal security that we have. And that is such a joyous gift. It's a comfort to our souls. It anchors us to know that we're kept secure. It points our hearts towards eternity with Christ. He's kept us, he holds us and keeps us secure. The gospel is like an anchor to our hearts and our souls just like a ship in a storm-tossed ship. Anyone ever been to the ocean? Seen the ocean in action? Has anyone ever seen a hurricane blowing in <laughs> on the ocean? Well, there's always boats that are docked. And what keeps them from, like, tipping over? They're anchored. They're held secure. So the same, that's what, that's what Christ does for us. He is our eternal anchor. So, I have I, the two things that you, I want you guys to remember. When you're thinking of, He's given us eternal life and will never perish. One, don't get caught looking back to old sin and shame. Look forward to Jesus. Don't get mired thinking about, oh man, I did that thing when I was 17. Will God ever love me? He's already saved you. Of course he loves you. And then don't get caught cherishing old sins. Things we, we all have a favorite sin. Mine is gossip. I love gossip. But don't get caught cherishing that sin because why? Well, it robs me of my eternal joy that I have in Jesus. 
So don't get caught in the thing. So how do we keep our hearts pointed towards eternal promise? Well, the first and most obvious is the church. Because one, we come together and we, we sing, like today, we sing songs together. You know, joy is dawned. That's a great reminder. And it's not just me, I'm not just reading it on a page. I'm hearing my brothers and sisters sing that song to me and encourage me with that reminder that, oh, Christ has come so that we have salvation. And then the church is also where we have our commitments together. When we become members here or members of a church, we have made commitments with each other. It's like, oh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna make sure that, you know, one of the Caleb's isn't going all wild because you know what? He's doing something. I need to, I need to come alongside him and say, hey, Caleb, don't do this. Or I need to be like, oh man, Caleb is just so godly. I should probably go ask Caleb for life advice. <laughs> so that's what the church is for. It's there for that. And then also we are reminded every Sunday through the preaching of the word of the eternal hope we have in heaven. And also like, one way we can also do this in our personal lives is reading the Bible. And sometimes we're reading a Bible, like we're reading a number sometimes, and we're like, what, what is this? Why do I need this? Well, a good way, whenever I'm working through a text, I'm like, this is not fun. I always ask myself, how is this helping me in salvation history? How is it working for salvation history? And when you ask that, it actually opens up like genealogies become more enjoyable because you're actually like able to see the glory of Christ working through generations. And then lastly, another way we do keep our hearts pointed towards Christ is meditating on the promises of future blessings. So the world's hard. It's, we live in a fallen, sinful world. So it's hard to stay hopeful. But we have hope. And one thing we can turn to is just in this passage that we can meditate on. My Father who has given them to me, given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. That's one great thing we can run to and cling to when life gets hard, is, oh, I am cared for by the Father. Another great promise is Psalm 34, 18. I, I read this verse last night, and I was like, oh, I'm just going to throw this in the sermon. <laughs> because I was like, this is so great, apropos. So Psalm 34, 18, the Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. So guys, that is who we serve. That is who we worship. So if you want to keep your heart set on Christ, remember who he is and the love he has for you. So that's what the sheep see. And that's what the works reveal to us. And what, what else do they reveal to us? They show us that Jesus is the Father's equal. Christ's answer is that, that he continues to build from verse 25 where he says, I do the works of the Father, to verse 27, where he says, my sheep hear me and they believe in me. And, and so he goes further when he says, I and the Father are one, in verse 30. That's huge, earth-shatteringly huge. Like, that is also probably the craziest thing any Jew alive at that time heard, like, or anyone has ever heard. Like, you've never heard someone go, I'm one with God. I'm, I'm, I'm the Son of the Father. We're on the same plane of existence. You've never heard that. And we've, we've heard some pretty crazy stuff in the past, I don't know, 10 years. So just think about that. We've never heard anything that crazy. But it's true. That's the thing. It's not like he's just saying it to be cheeky. He's saying it because it's true. And he says it because he's saying, I'm the long hope for Messiah. I'm the one the prophets told you about. 
He's most clearly getting at the question they posed to him in 24. For the Christ tells plainly. So he built an answer of, I'm doing the works of my father. And if you were my sheep, you'd recognize me. And if you recognize me, you'd know that I and the father are one. So that means Jesus is saying, I am God. That's huge. Why does it matter? Why does it matter that Jesus is God? Well, we said this today in the Nicene Confession. I think that was Nicaea. Um, because if Jesus is not God, then he's no savior. We need a savior who is fully God because only a human can suffer in place of humanity and only God can effectively suffer for all of humanity. And not only that, if he's not God, he could not be doing the works of the Father because his works reveals two things, who he serves and he serves the Father. And then they reveal the power by which he serves. And he works by the same power of the Father, the Holy Spirit, which, again, we, we quoted in Nicaea today, which is just a glorious reminder to us that the Trinity works together in unison always. And it shows that Jesus can say, the Father gives me my sheep and I protect the sheep. No one will snatch them out of my hand. So equality with God is what Jesus is getting at. He's saying, my works prove my identity because I have worked miraculous signs before you and use those signs to point to my very identity. That's why we can trust that Jesus is our Savior. Because Christ is holding us fast, since he is united to the Father. No one is able to snatch him out of the Father's hand. So Jesus gives a clear answer of who he is, and what he is all about, and what his work is. So how do they respond? Well, there's two responses that we see in this passage. There's two responses. You see what the Jewish elite say in Jerusalem, and then the outcast says in the wilderness. So firstly, we see the Jewish elite, they reject Jesus. They pick up stones again to stone him. And notice it says, pick up stones again, again. So he's, this is not the first time someone's been like, I don't like that. Where's some rocks? <laughs> so the last time he was this clear about his identity was John eight fifty nine, where he said that his identity, his person, was prior to Abraham, before Abraham was I am, where he was saying he existed prior to the patriarch of the Jews. And then in John 5.18, he also, the Jews sought to kill him because he was breaking the Sabbath and was even calling God his father, making himself equal with God. So they, they had heard this before. This wasn't brand new, but at the same time they were like, okay, so he's, he's still on that. So this is nothing new, but he's doing it with more clarity and evidence than ever before. So what are they rejecting? Well, firstly, they're rejecting Christ's words. In 1032, Jesus responds to the Jews picking up stones and says, I've shown you many good works. For which of them are you going to stone me? He's again tying his identity to his works. He's saying, you've seen me. Let's just go through some of the works he's done. You've seen me at the Festival of Booths just a couple months ago. I healed a man born blind. And then a couple months before that, I fed thousands of people. So what's your angle here again? Is basically what he's saying. And he even said, hey guys, like appealing to his works, I once said to a guy, your sins are forgiven, and then told him, get up and walk. So it would seem my words work, and they are authoritative. So I don't see why you're rejecting my words. That's what it seems Jesus is saying. But the Jews, in picking up stones to stone him, are saying, by their actions, we've seen your works, and we're going to stone you for your words. 
Because they say in verse 33, not for your works, but for blasphemy. Words. The Jews have a serious case because they're saying, hey, we don't believe you and we think you're a heretic. So Jesus says again, look at my words in context with my works. What they don't believe are the words about Christ's deity. 1030 is the very climax of this passage where Jesus says, I and the Father are one. And the Jews are saying, well, we don't like that. So Jesus dispels what they what their argument is for stoning him by saying, hey, let's, let's just look at the word itself. He goes, in verse 34, he points to scripture and says, is it not written in your law? So that's the Psalms. I said you were God, gods. Now, that's a direct quote from Psalm 82.6. I'll read for you right now. I said you were gods. You were sons of the Most High. And so he's saying that, is it not written in your law? I said you were gods. If he called them gods to whom the word of God came, scripture cannot be broken. Do you say of him whom the Father consecrated and sent into the world, you are blaspheming because I said I am the Son of God? So he's, he's making an argument from lesser to greater, like, hey, one, I'm the f- consecrated from the Father. So if he called those guys who were fallen men gods, and I am one with the Father and consecrated by the Father, how much more right have I to say this? And, and we know he was consecrated by the Father because if we were to turn back in our Bibles to John 1, we would see Jesus get baptized and then uh, a voice from heaven would say, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. That, does, that doesn't happen very often. I've seen many baptisms in my life. I've never seen that. <laughs> so it seems like a one, one-time event. So he's saying, if you're going to stone me, you've, you've literally forgotten the record of my life, and you've also forgotten your Bible. And, and that's when Jesus really turns the screws on, because th- this is Jerusalem. These are the religious elites. They know their Bible. Like this, These guys are the equivalent of what the Apostle Paul was. They, they're like, oh yeah, we know our Bible. We know it's going down. This is, this is what it says. And so he's like, hey guys, you've clearly not read your Bible recently because you'd be able to put this stuff together. So the Jews are rejecting the scripture. Um, and, and we do the same thing, guys. We, we do that all the time. Sometimes we reject scripture or people reject scripture because they don't like how it makes them feel. And that's, that's a terrible way to judge if scripture is true or not because the Bible itself says the heart is deceitful above all else. So we should take truth to Scripture and measure it against Scripture. We should take who Jesus says he is and measure it against the Bible. Um, sometimes we reject the Bible through our actions. We say we rely on God and everything, but then, you know, we don't ever take anything to God in prayer. <laughs> we rely on God with our, phys- our spiritual needs, but not our physical needs. We turn to modern medicine, which is a good thing. We should have modern medicine. We turn to our own finances for places of refuge, um, but we forget the promises of Scripture, like Psalm 34, 18. And we reject the Bible when it gets in the way of how we interact with those around us. We neglect to remember God's call to personal holiness at the expense of a favorite sin, or even we neglect the Bible and it's called to evangelize those who are lost at the expense of being comfortable. Because it makes us, it gets in the way of our 21st century values. Gateway. Guys, don't reject God's word because it reveals God's works. Not only do the Jews 
reject his words, but they reject his works. Now, Jesus is appealing to his works in 37 and 38. If I'm not doing the works of my Father, then don't believe me. But if I do them, even though you do not believe me, believe the works that you may know and understand that the Father is in me, and I'm in the Father. So Jesus is saying, believe the works. The crowd is rejecting the work of Christ because he wasn't what they were looking for. They were looking for a conquering Messiah, a big, strong, tough guy. They were looking for John Wayne. (laughs) But that's not what they got. They didn't get that. And, and honestly, how often are we tempted to reject Christ's work because we're a smart people. We're, you know, industrialized. We have science now. One of the main things many people today reject about Christ's works and his salvation while on the cross is his death, burial, and resurrection. That's a big stumbling block for many people. But we can believe the works of Christ Victory over the grave? Why? Well, there's a few reasons. Because eyewitness accounts. And his victory, his works, one, while he was alive, his earthly ministry, there's Jewish accounts, Roman accounts, and Christian accounts of Christ's works. And then afterwards, there's 500 witnesses that see Christ at one time after his resurrection. So we can trust in his works. We know that Jesus is in the Father because his works reveal who he is. The Jews aren't just rejecting his works alone, but they're rejecting his deity and ultimately his salvation. Don't reject his salvation. So the Jews, what do they continue to do in verse 39? They seek to kill him. They still seek, they're still like, all right, we still don't like you, so we're going we're gonna to look for stones again. And so what happens? Jesus leaves. He just is like, all right, he leaves. So that is... That is where Jesus leaves Jerusalem. He doesn't come back until Passion Week. So he's left. And what does he do? Does he just go sit quietly and meditate on stuff in the wilderness? No, he, he goes and he, he goes, I would say he goes in search of his lost sheep. You know, he doesn't just say, oh, there's, these sheep are here and they've rejected me. You no, know, he goes in search of his lost sheep. So he goes out into the wilderness. He goes away across the Jordan into the wilderness where John had been baptizing, and there he remained. Jesus has left Jerusalem until his return. Something amazing happens. Many people come to him, and they said, Hey, John, John did no sign, but everything that John said about this guy, ah, man, that was true. And many believed in him there. What does this show? It shows Christ going outside of the highways and the hedges. So the religious elite of his day have rejected him. Uh, and those are the people we would think Jesus would want to save, you know? The religious elite. We'd think, okay, uh, Jesus wants to save the Pope. Maybe. <laughs> but at the same time, you know, he goes out to those who are rejected. So these people, see, they, they do two things. They accept his works. The first thing we see them doing is, John did no sign, but Jesus did. And we can infer from that the reality that people were coming to Jesus and they saw the work he was doing, and they believed him. Why? Because it confirmed the witness of John the Baptist. The words of John the Baptist. I don't, I don't know why I wrote that twice. So, in, in John 1.29, John said, the Lamb of God, when he saw Jesus, he said, this is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And I have seen and borne witness that this is the Son of God. So he's, he's, doing, he's saying that, hey, this, this guy has come to save you and to redeem you. 
and to uh, be, he is the son of God. So John is also saying, hey, this guy is one with the father. And so Jesus was doing works and that was witness enough for these people to believe. His works were witness enough for these people to believe. But not only did he have works, he had words. So secondly, they accepted his words. Christ's works because they were never separated from his words. They were always intertwined. Uh, it was kind of like a ponytail. So like, I mean, it was like a braid, you know? Um, a braid, you can't have a braid if it's just one bit of hair. You have to have multiple bits of hair. So Jesus' works were always a braid of teaching and works. If it was just words or teaching, words or works, then it would just be a ponytail. Um, So seeing his works and hearing his words convince them that they must believe. So what does this show? It shows Christ's heart for the lost. He went out into the wilderness to find the sheep who were called. Remember, the sheep hear the voice of the shepherd they believe. Jesus' sheep were not the obvious ones in Jerusalem. They were the neglected ones. Actually, this is just, you know, we talked about this in our uh, announcements today. There's a Lottie Moon offering. And what, what, 300 missionaries, where are they at? Are they just, you know, down in like, uh, I don't know, Charleston, South Carolina, where there's a million mega churches? No, they're like on the frontiers of mission, missions. I, I know guys in Erbil, Iraq. I know people in Afghanistan who are still there for some reason. I don't know why. There's people throughout the world who are going to the lost sheep and finding them. People who are... Uh, seeking those that are lost. So we can join in that work. We give to things like Lottie Moon missions. And that's joining in the work that Christ did here when he goes out into the wilderness to seek those lost sheep. They're not the obvious ones in Jerusalem. They're the neglected sheep. They were the sheep in the wilderness, the lonely sheep, the lost sheep, the sick sheep, the poor and needy ones. That's us. Everyone who's ever turned to Christ is a neglected, poor, and needy sheep. Why is that? Because no one can come to Christ unless they are broken. No one can come to Christ if they are proud. You don't see proud saints, you see broken saints. Was, was Paul walking around going, hey, I was, I was the best Jew. No, he actually said, I was the best Jew, but I actually count that as a loss. It's rubbish, it's garbage. Why? Because... It was nothing compared to the weight of Christ's sacrifice. Guys, in closing, we can believe Jesus' identity when he says, I am one with the Father, because the works he's done, they reveal that his words are trustworthy and true. And they aren't only for those whose life is put together. No, they're for us. They're for those who are ragged and broken. That's Jesus' identity. Shepherd of the lost, wounded, sick, and sore. He stands ready to save us, hold us, and love us. Go to him. And that's, again, why we can trust him, because his works bear witness to his identity so we can believe. Join me in prayer. Dear Lord, uh, just thank you for your words. Thank you for your work. Thank you for your salvation, Lord. Thank you that you came and sought us. Lord, um, just help us to think about how we can 
continue to run to you and just be mindful of the promises you've given to us that you will keep us, Lord. What a glorious thing that is, that you will keep us. What a glorious thing. In Jesus' name, amen. As we discover who God is and what he has done for us, um, we can look forward to a time together celebrating the Lord's Supper. And uh, we're going to turn to Mark 14, verses 12 to 26 today, to find these words of institution. (coughs) And on the first day of unleavened bread, when they sacrificed the Passover lamb, his disciples said to him, Where will you have us go and prepare for you to eat the Passover? And he sent two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the city, and a man carrying a jar of water will